Hello and welcome to State of Crime. One state, two murderers, and lots of crime. With Kaylin and Elena. Hi, Kaylin. Hi. So, I have a question for you. <laughs> oh, God. I've been waiting. I've been sitting on this for a while. Oh, boy. Have you caught up with the Chris Watt stuff? No. Okay, so I know we haven't, we haven't talked about any yeah. of it. Well, I was watching... I don't know what channel I was watching at work today. But I was watching a show and Chris Watts, I don't know if you knew this, came out with a full confession. No. Yes, because he supposedly found God, which I find that was fucking bullshit. But <laughs> whatever. That's why he claims that he did his full confession is because okay. he found God. But you know what? Like, okay. So I'm always very skeptical as well about these, you know, prison house what conversions. Although there's a few I have to say that have seemed very sincere to me over the years. Even if it's fake, if he is being honest in his confession yeah, and really truthfully laying everything out so his victims can have peace, that's enough for me. Yeah. And it's weird because everything that he says, it's kind of wishy-washy okay I so feel it doesn't like, feel like it's real I feel like a lot of his confession on how he killed his family mm -hmm. is very honest and truthful okay. why don't you backtrack real quick Kaylin and just because maybe not everyone remembers who Chris Watts is do you know what I'm saying yeah. so so Chris Watts this was a few months ago mm -hmm. um his wife had gone missing air quotes missing mm -hmm. and he, her and the children had all gone missing and come to find out that he had killed both his wife and his, or his pregnant wife. Right. And his two very young daughters. Right. And this was in Utah, correct? Yeah. Colorado. 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 Sorry. Sorry. And they There was had, a similar one in Utah, but that was a long time ago. Yeah. They had found the two young girls' bodies stuffed in an oil well <sighs> tank thing. And then his wife was buried in like a shallow grave somewhere nearby. All on his, like, work area site mm -hmm. thing. Well, he had gotten arrested and was convicted life in jail without the possibility of parole. Right. And now he's coming out with these confessions because he found God. Mm -hmm. Well, I was watching it today and I was just getting so mad because they had shown a picture, which, again, I find the whole found God thing bullshit. Uh-huh. And... They showed a picture of him from inside jail. And he's got just, it's the slightest smirk uh, on his face. I know what you're talking I always hate those, yeah. And you try to, like, believe that, like, maybe he did found God and he, like, wants to come clean about these things. But then you see, like, that smirk on his face. I'm like, no, you're just trying to get the attention now. Yeah. And... One of his, so he killed his wife first, mm -hmm. and then the youngest daughter, and then the oldest daughter. And I guess that the last words that his oldest daughter said to him was, Daddy, no. Oh. So sad. Yeah. And oh, it just it pisses me off. Yeah. So I know, like I said, I, uh, those, I'm always torn about those sorts of things too, just because, like I said, I think sometimes if they, can be honest and forthcoming, you know, and clarify if they, like, you know, for instance, when we don't know where bodies are, or if you don't know the motive, perhaps yeah. sometimes that can be helpful 
to victims, you know, the family mm-hmm. members and stuff. But this doesn't sound like that's a case of that. Yeah, no. So I um, might just skip it. So. I don't really exactly remember what he said his motive was. I know that part of it was he was very angry with his wife. Well, you'd have to be. Yeah. <laughs> I think to do something like that. But I, like I said, I do not understand these, like, killing your children. Yeah, no, I don't understand it. I can't. That I, can't I just don't mm-hmm. understand. Maybe a spe- and again, not I mean, you know, there's divorce people use it. But, you know, I I, I guess you know, that moment if you lose control or, you know, something like that. Like I think all of us who've been in, you know, close romantic relationships, you you get angry, you get triggered, you, your buttons get pushed. Although I can't say I've ever ever been anywhere near a homicidal you know what I yeah. mean like jokingly you know what I mean we yeah. all say oh I could just kill him or whatever but yeah I just that is just so bizarre to me yeah I've never even been I don't think angry enough at like a significant other to where I even like want to hit them no, or anything no. much uh-uh. less kill them no no uh-uh. Yeah, I don't, I, like I said, I, I mean, I've hit a pillow or, you know, afterwards, uh-huh. you know what I'm saying? Like, you know, I've yelled, I've, I cannot imagine. I'm also curious if that is because our, we don't like confrontation. Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> it might be. Yeah. I mean, but honestly, cause I, I mean, I'll, I'll throw something, not at somebody. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> Just but like throw it. once I'm, if I'm by myself, like I always wait till I'm by myself usually and I'm really angry, but I, I'm the type, you know, I'll, I'll hit a pillow, I'll yell, I'll scream. I, I do get it out, Yeah. but I don't like to do it in front, in front of, of other, other people. people. Yeah. yeah. And I, people who know me, like, you know. I get crazy and I talk and I gesticulate, you know, gesticulate and, and everything, but I'm not, I don't think I'm a violent, yeah. aggressive person in that way. I no, I just, it, oh, it, the whole thing just pissed me off. And I feel like, I kind of feel bad for his mistress, his other girlfriend. Mm-hmm. I kind of feel bad for her because she was, all, she also did an interview and she had kind of a completely different story than he did. I mean, they had only been seeing each other for a few months. Yeah. And according to her, he had told her that they had talked about separation and that she didn't, his wife didn't want to work it out. And so he kind of didn't want to work it out. You know, that kind of sounds, what, what was it the, what was the case down in California where he murdered his pregnant wife. Do you remember? Was it Scott Peterson? Maybe I can't, there was a the very yeah, famous case with down Lacey there. Peterson. Yes. yes, yes, yes. That's very similar. Where you know he too had been having an affair, mm-hmm. and then his mistress gave interviews after. Yeah. It was very similar. Where you know mm-hmm. he had told her, "Well, we're going to divorce." You know the typical yeah. guy who's cheating on his significant other. All Almost those lines to make himself look better, right? That they all say, you know, to because to, I think to kind of rope in the other woman. Mm-hmm. That that reminds me of that. Yeah, so. it was, but I, I do kind of feel bad for her because she is she's giving kind of a completely different picture to the whole mm-hmm. thing, mm-hmm. and I don't know. It was just a little venting thing I had. Uh, I don't know if you'd kept yeah. up with it. <laughs> and I probably won't now because, like mm-hmm. I said, I, yeah, I. Well, don't and sound I'm norm- like- I'm normally really good when it comes to the true crime cases and stuff that I've researched or look into, or that I've heard about or seen mm-hmm. stuff on TV about. I'm normally really good with being able to control my emotions over it 
because I've learned I can't get too emotionally invested in it because right. I do have a four-year-old that like <laughs> everything would just tear me down mm -hmm. and I feel like I'd be such a helicopter parent at that point. <laughs> but I was watching, when I was watching it today, they had shown different pictures and videos before everything had happened of like him with the girls and all of these things. And it's like, at that point, he looks like a great loving father. Right. And like the thought of how you can go from that to murdering your pregnant wife and two children. Yeah, that's, that's horrific. Yeah. So, all right, we can jump out of this though. Okay. Well, I'm going to take just a moment because, okay. you know, we are recording schedules a little off mm -hmm. to when we release these, but I do just want to backtrack a little bit. Okay. So I did a guest spot on a great local podcast as well called Cascadia. And I just wanted to give a shout out to Cascadia and encourage our listeners to check it out because they do a lot of great stories. They focus here on the Northwest. Um, they That's their center. So they have done great things from Bigfoot to Confederate Ties to Idaho, which is a very fascinating episode. And Jeff, one of the hosts, um, is writing a book about it. So I Fancy. really, yeah, I really encourage our readers to check those things out. You mean our listeners? Our listeners. <laughs> My brain is just not functioning these days. But um, anyway, I did a guest spot and we did talk about a case in Boise from 1982 that was fascinating. And I think our readers would like it. Our listeners would like it. My gosh, it's been a week, people. And uh, so anyway, yeah, check that out. And a big shout out to Cascadia. They do a lot of great work. You can also check them out on Facebook, Twitter. All that fun stuff. Yeah, they're mm -hmm. fabulous. So, All right. So this week we are heading to the lovely Midwestern state of Nebraska. And Nebraska is a state that is kind of near and dear to my heart because we have a local citizen here in Mountain Home named Paige, who is a wonderful person, and she is the founder of our local Montessori School Children's House, and a lot of people probably know her, and she actually grew up in Nebraska, so I just wanted to, you know, kind of honor her. She's fabulous. And then it's also one of my favorite writers, Willa Cather, hails from Nebraska, and um, actually I teach one of her novels in my class, and so, you know, shout out to Willa. So anyway, but Nebraska... You know, you think of Midwest, all that wholesome corn and waving wheat, and uh, not always. So for my case this week, I went back in history, and I'm again covering a female murderer. So we are going to travel back to the 1920s. Ooh. Yes. Although her reign of terror actually begins in 1918. But then she goes on trial in 1925. Um, and what I found fascinating, one of the things I found fascinating about this case was the location was just rural Nebraska. So I don't know where she lived <laughs> at the beginning of her crime spree. I, I get the feeling it was probably just like out on a farm somewhere, but there wasn't a, a town there. Mm -hmm. um, and then she ends up in a tiny town called Danabrog which is known as the Danish capital of Nebraska, hmm. which is a very interesting claim to fame. Okay. <laughs> and as of 2010, the lovely town of Danabrog 
which by the way, I looked up photos online and it does look beautiful. I was like, this would be a cute little place to go, but it only has 303 people. I feel like those are the best places to go. Yeah. You don't yeah. have to deal with all the people. Usually <laughs> the people are really nice. It's either they're really nice and welcoming or get the hell out of their town. It's very children of the corn. Yeah. <laughs> like there's not really any middle section. It's either right. one under the other. So yeah, this looked gorgeous. And so it, Dana Brog is known as the Danish capital of Nebraska. It was founded by a group of Danes in 1871 who had come down from Wisconsin, which is, you know, another one of our wholesome states. So our murderer is a serial killer. Okay. Who, her method is one that is actually favored by a lot of women. And I've always found this fascinating that when it comes to murder by poison and serial murderers who use poison, it, they tend more often to be female. And there's a theory that women don't like to be up close and personal necessarily when they murder. I don't know how true that is, but that's one of the, the ideas behind it. So our case today is a woman that was very frustrating to me. It was very hard to find very much information about her prior and outside of her murders. And even her murders, it was very, I don't know, I felt kind of surfacy. Mm -hmm. So, we know that her name is Della Sorensen. Okay. She is born the 16th of February, 1897. Okay. And that is quite literally the only piece of information I could find on this woman. Oh my gosh. <laughs> outside of her crimes. Yeah. There was one website that I visited that had a wedding picture of her. Uh, but there was like no date on it or anything. So yeah, it was really strange. So if anybody ever wants to like, I don't know, find a little, you know, niche of string murderers, this would be one to, to include. So by 1918, Della is 21 years old. She's married. And like I said, that's pretty much all I know about her. And this is when our first death occurs. And the victim is... And this is one of the things I hated so much about this case is the first of eight that will happen over the next six years. And her first murderer is an infant. Oh, yeah. And there is evidence that she did, in fact, poison some other people as well. At least, well, at least two others and then the two that kind of got her that finally caught up with her and they all survived. So I guess four in total, maybe. Yeah. So she kills a fairly young man, an old woman and all the rest of her victims are children. Ugh. The oldest of whom is eight. I already can't fully comprehend people who killed children. Mm -hmm. I more so cannot comprehend women who killed children. Yeah. I think, I think part of that, again, is that, you know, idea that women, you know, the maternal instinct, yada, 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 that, you know, those, I'm going to call them stereotypes. These stereotypes we have that women are supposed to be more nurturing, that somehow we inherently are. I don't necessarily believe that. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. I mean, when you actually study history and you study cases like these, um, and there's a lot of other things in this case that are going to infuriate you. Go fun. <laughs> You know, I'm kind of skeptical about that, honestly. I do, I'm very much a believer in 
um, the social constructs of gender expectations and gender roles, if that makes sense. Do you know what I'm yeah. saying? Like, obviously women for a long time in many societies have been trained and geared and, you know, encouraged to act more maternal. And, and men have always, I think, traditionally been told to kind of tamp those feelings down. But as far as like them, their natural occurrence, I, yeah, I'm, I'm skeptical about that. So, but anyway, so on the 23rd of July, 1918, her sister-in-law, who, by the way, I also could not find a name for, she was only <laughs> referred to by her married name, Mrs. Wetzel Cooper. Oh, yes. is that hyphenated? <laughs> no. The first, oh, okay. yes, I, I'm assuming her husband's name was Wetzel. Um, yeah, weird. But anyway, so her baby, Viola, is murdered. And so Mrs. Wetzel Cooper is Della Sorensen's sister-in-law through her husband. Okay. Okay. And so at the time, nobody seen, you know, of course, we know childhood mortality rates are incredibly high at this time. Um, it doesn't seem like anybody was suspicious at all about this child's death. But later on, when Della Sorensen talks about it, apparently her motive was to get back at her sister-in-law because she felt like her sister-in-law had been gossiping about her. So you kill her child? Children. Oh my which is, God. we'll get to later. Yes. So that's the first victim that we know of. And here's the thing with this case. Like I said, it was, there was infuriatingly little documentation about it. It was very difficult to find because then there's a lull for two years. And, and I just feel like if you are this type of a person that you are willing to serially murder, poison children, mm-hmm just because you feel offended by things. I have a hard time believing, do you know what I'm saying? That she murders this child and then nothing else happens for about two years. Okay. There's a two-year lull, okay? And then after that, things really do pick up. And so her crimes that we know of span the years 1918 with this baby's murder um, up until 1924, okay. and then, like I said, there's this quite a lull from 1918 till 1920, which I, yeah, I'm suspicious. But anyway, so in 1920, her next victim is also close to her, but this time it's a very elderly woman, and that is her mother-in-law, Wilhelmina Weldon, and she murders Wilhelmina. Because she says that Wilhelmina was, quote, feeble and childish and a burden. I wanted to get her out of the way. Out of the way of what? I don't know, her way, I guess. So, you know, so. I, Where are you trying to go <laughs> that you need to kill these children? And your mother-in-law. Exactly. Like, and I mean, we've both been married. We both understand in-laws can be difficult. <laughs> yeah. But this is a little extreme. So. That was 1920. A short time later, on the 7th of September, 1920, she strikes closer to home. She poisons and murders her own eight-year-old daughter, Minnie. Why? 
because she said that uh, Minnie's crying and fretting bothered her. She's a child. That's what children do. So the fact that she is an eight-year-old <laughs> and acts like an eight-year-old does bothers her and gets her murdered. Now, I did do a little math here because I was like, okay. Um, oh, sorry. And I think this was, I think my dates are a little wrong here because there was some conflicting here. This might have been 19, no, this was 1920. Sorry, this was 1920. So in 1920, Della would have been 23. Okay. She has an eight-year-old daughter. That would have made her 15 when she had had this kid. So I feel like that's not so crazy in that time, right? Not so, but it's still kind of young. Do you know what I'm saying? And so, like, and again, I couldn't find when they got married. You know what I mean? So, but to me, that's still, even for that time, that is kind of young. Okay. So, but anyway, so then just under two weeks later, on the 20th of September, 1920, she murders and kills her husband, Joe. She murders and kills? Oh, yes. Murders and kills. Poisons and murders. Because <laughs> <laughs> like I said, there's some people she poisons who survive. But she poisons and murders her son, her, sorry, her husband, Joe. And her reasoning when she explains it later is that they had quarreled. So you were fighting, so you killed him. Yes. Two weeks after you <laughs> murdered your daughter. Jesus. My goodness. Okay. Now, here's what I also thought was interesting. <laughs> she waits for four months. Okay. And gets married again. Who this, you know, so, and like I said, there's all of these gaps. Do you know what I'm yeah. saying? Like, and it was funny because there were a couple of newspaper articles from the time that were, you know, recreating their entirety online. One of them was the Sioux City Journal and during her trial, the Sioux City Journal described her as a dull, commonplace woman. So how'd you find new husband so fast? <laughs> That's what I was wondering. <laughs> so. How does a dull, commonplace woman find yes. a husband in four months? And she this... needs to teach me her ways. because <laughs> <laughs> She needs to teach a lot of people her ways. But anyway, and this is, seems to be... It's with this marriage that she leaves what had been described as, quote, rural Nebraska and moves into the town of Danabrog. And like I said, I'm pretty sure, you know, she just lived outside yeah. of town. So, again, things, you know, are moving along here. In August of 1922, the mother of her first victim, the little infant Viola, Mrs. Wetzel Cooper, Decides to visit her. So, obviously, there hadn't, you know, like I said, there couldn't have been any suspicion, even though now her daughter's dead, Mrs. Wetzel Cooper's brother, her first husband, has also dead, you know, at a fairly young age. So, she's killed her mother-in-law. Yes. Her sister-in-law's kid. Yep. Her own kid. Her husband. Yes. Jesus. And, and nobody... is now remarried. And nobody, like, is thinking, like, why are all these people around her dying? Yeah, which I thought was strange. But again, think of the time period. You know, and especially, you know, and this is another thing that just occurred to me. You know, 1918 is the great influenza epidemic. Oh. Uh, and I assume they don't really have, like, the testing to do to see if no. someone was, like, poisoned. And like I said, you just, they just yeah. died. And child mortality, you know, before the age of five... 
ran between 15 and 75% up to, yeah, up until vaccines. Mm -hmm. Vaccinate people. Seriously? Yes. And so, anyway, so Mrs. Wetzel Cooper visits um, her, Della in her new home with her new husband with her four-month-old son, Clifford. Clifford's about to die. In fact, he does. Figures. Yes, and in fact, using the exact same methodology that she'd used on Viola, Della poisons and murders Clifford. And she even says later, and again, she, when she talks about her crimes after she's finally caught, she said, every time I poisoned one of her children, I was happy because I thought, I'm getting back at you for all the things you've said about me. I don't understand. Yes. Okay. So... Here's poor Mrs. Wetzel Cooper, she of no first name of her own, <laughs> has lost her daughter Viola, her brother, her mother, and now her four-month son Clifford, all at the hands of Della Sorensen. And apparently she's still absolutely clueless. Now either Della is a fantastic liar or this woman is the dumbest thing on the planet because a short time later, in October of 1922, she visits again and brings one of her children again. Oh my gosh. First of all, <laughs> how many children does she have? This I'm not sure about. And apparently, this child too was poisoned, but survived. Okay, so one, I need to, I want to know how many children this lady has. Well, three at least. At least three. So she has at least three children, so I want to know how many more children she has. Yeah. I would like to know a first name, because that would be cool. Yeah. And I would like to know why she keeps visiting. I know. Like, that's the thing, too. I was like, that part was kind of strange to me. Do you know? So like I said, this must have been one of the most passive-aggressive sort of relationships in history, at least on, from Della's side. Do you know what I'm yeah. saying? And I have a feeling that all the animosity probably obviously is on Della's side. But yeah. anyway. Okay, continue. Yes. So that's October of 1922. Mm -hmm. She makes this attempt, but the child survives. Okay, good. In 1923, she again moves closer to home when she poisons and murders her own one-year-old daughter, Dolores. And this is the daughter she's just had with her, her second husband. husband. Okay. Now, there were several claims, and I saw references floating around, that there was yet another child of her own that she murdered. But I could not, there was no name ever given or exactly when, you know, this happened. So I, I found that strange. You know, I don't know if this was a child she murdered immediately or what the situation was. Now, her other daughter, Minnie, she claimed, right, you know, whined and bothered her. A apparently with Dolores, she's trying to cast some sort of a, I don't know, I don't like a merciful sort of thing to it. Because her claim was that Dolores had something called St. Vitus's Dance. So I had to look that up because I've heard of it before, but I wasn't sure what it was. So it turns out St. Vitus's dance is something that we today call Sydenham's Korea. And it is 
like its main symptom is the rapid, uncoordinated jerking of face, hands, and feet. So it's kind of you know, like tremors or maybe mild convulsions. It's caused either by a severe uh, strep infection or acute rheumatic fever. And I guess it's fairly commonly associated with those things. Whatever the cause is, though, it disappears on its own usually within a short period of time. Sometimes it can last a couple years, but it doesn't seem like, you know what I'm saying? It's <laughs> not like it's some painful, horrific thing. So for her to even have brought this up is strange and just, you know what I mean? feels yeah. like a weird excuse. Yeah. She's it's, just coming up with reasonings. Yeah. Especially given her proclivity, you know, with all the others to just be like, they bugged me or I was mad. Yeah, that is strange that she was normally fairly honest about why she did it. And this time she's like, I was just trying to make it better. Yeah. (laughs) So one of the things we often hear about serial killers is that that they very often escalate. You know, like Mm -hmm. they tend to speed up and the time between murders shortens. This is definitely the case with Della. One week after the death of her baby Dolores... A friend of hers named Christina Brock visits with her own baby daughter. Quit bringing your children around this lady. Who happens to be named Ruth. Della promptly poisons and kills her. And later explains, and again, what's kind of different here is that she tries to act like there's some sort of a philanthropic side to her murder. She claims that Quote, I felt sorry for the poor child because its mother did not care for it. There's a problem with that statement. She doesn't feel bad at all because she acknowledges the child as it, which means yeah. she there's no sort of connection there. It's just an object that mm-hmm. she doesn't want around. Yeah, I thought that was so telling that I even underlined the it in the because <laughs> I wanted to make sure that we pointed that out. Um, shortly hereafter, her second husband is poisoned, but survives. So, and... Did he divorce her? No. He, not that I could find anywhere anyway, but this is a point, apparently this is the first time that anybody starts to seem suspicious. And again, the only documentation I can find, despite all my searching, was they just said that the local authorities started to feel suspicious. What that means, who knows? Like I said, I I don't know. And it's still not until 1925, after she had poisoned two neighbor kids with cookies, (laughs) and they live, that she was arrested. And... It feels like, like, from what I could see, and again, you know, documentation is so scant on this, but it looked to me like immediately after her arrest, she just confesses. She doesn't try to hide it. She's just very, and that's when, so all of these motives that I've given you throughout with each murder, Mm -hmm. she basically just lays it all out. These are the people I killed. This is why. And Hmm. is very open about it. She also says... And these are some direct quotes from her confession. I like to attend funerals. I'm happy when someone is dying. After the death of my little daughter, Minnie, I had a feeling of elation and happiness. Then I got to thinking about what I had done. 
I was afraid and tried to hide it. I had the same feeling after the death of every one of those I poisoned. That's creepy. So, with those types of statements and with her very freely given confession, what do you think happens to her? I'm about to be angry, aren't uh -huh. I? This is where you get angry. You would think she'd at least get life in prison, but I would hope she would get the death penalty. But now that I know I'm about to get angry, <laughs> I know that neither of those are the case. She is declared insane, Ugh. sent to the state mental asylum, Ugh. where she dies on the 24th of June in 1941. Ugh. Yeah. And when they did sentence her, so... One of the things I read again said that they diagnosed her with schizophrenia, which again seems just, I mean, even given the historical difficulties around their understandings of a lot of mental illness, that just seems weird to me. But anyway, but they declare her insane immediately. They just, they don't even, prison's not even on the table. And, but then when they do send her to the state mental asylum, they did say that should she you know, be sane enough or whatever within two to three years or whatever, that murder charges would be back on the table. But it seems like once she goes to the state mental asylum, that's it. That's all she wrote. And there was nothing else I could find on her. So that's annoying. That's the case of Della Sorensen, which has my least favorite thing, child murders and your least favorite thing, People kind of not getting what you feel is they're just. I mean, I feel like there was probably something wrong. I feel like there's something mentally wrong with anybody who was able to kill people. Right. And, and admit to the fact that they enjoyed it. Okay, but so here's the thing. Most states that do have the men, you know, a mental illness. So, and, and this, again, is probably a problem that should be discussed and addressed. But so... The medical definition of insanity and the legal definition of insanity are actually usually two very different things. Which doesn't make sense to me because if you have to medically find out if right. they are insane, it should be the same as the legal... Oh. Right, but the legal definition most often entails that the person does not know that what they're doing is wrong. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. That seems to be at the heart of nearly every state's legal definition of insanity. And if you look back at her quote, she's very clear. I knew what I did yep. was wrong. I was afraid. I lied about it. I tried to hide it. But I felt great right after it happened. Yes. To me, this is much more, you know, the actions of a psychopath, sociopath, you know, somebody with that sort of a pathology, which they're definitely problems and definitely yeah. things we need to deal with. But I'm not sure that they fall under the legal definition of insanity. And I, again, think of how many women I've covered and how many of them have received insanity. You know, they've I, been declared insane. I was and, just thinking about that, about the fact that maybe they did this on purpose at this, like, in older times where they didn't really want to send these women to prison because they were women that they decided that the they had like a loophole like 
declare them insane so they're not like in prison. Yeah. But on the other note, we've also talked about the fact that the mental asylums weren't always in very good conditions. Like it, it's kind of a toss up of which right. would be worse, jail or mental asylum. But I think it also loops back to your statement earlier, what you said about, you know, you just can't understand women killing their own children. And I think a lot of this ties into, again, those social constructs we have around, you know, femininity and womanhood and what a woman is supposed to be. And then these women who are committing these acts that they, that just are so far removed from all of the assumptions that we have about, you know, like we said, you know, women are more nurturing, they're more caring, they're more loving. And these things are just so far removed from it. It seems like it's easier for them to say, okay, they're insane. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. I do. So, so sorry. So we're going to leave Nebraska for now. And on Thursday, we're going to come back to your case, yep. which is, do you want to give us a hint? No, I don't. But okay. I do know that you're not going to like it. Oh, boy. Which okay. makes things. And it does have a lot of similarities oh. to your case. Interesting. Children are going to die, aren't they? That was not what I was getting okay. towards, but yes, <laughs> you are not wrong, but that's not, that wasn't the, the direction I was going. All right. On that tragic, horrific note, thank you for listening. Check us out on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. I think that's it. I think that's it. I think that's it. All right. Thank you for listening. See you next time.